Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We're making a shift now from a previous series, a series called Stuck, which we looked at the 12 steps, and now we're going to begin a series looking at the book of Acts. We're calling it Revolution. Um, and, and the reason we're calling it is because it, it really, the book of Acts is all about a spiritual revolution that takes place. And there is a, there's a verse that may be familiar to you, or maybe this will be the first time you've heard it. It doesn't matter. But this one verse actually gives you a little bit of an outline of where we're headed in, in this particular, particular book. Uh, Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That, that, that verse that captures a bit of Jesus' conversation with his disciples is a fantastic outline for the book of Acts because in chapters 1 through 7, what you're going to see in this book is a spiritual revolution taking place in Jerusalem. And in chapters 8 through 12, you're going to see this revolution, the spiritual revolution, continue forward uh, into Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 through 28, you're going to see it go to the, the ends of the earth. The first half of the book, you're going to hear a lot about a guy named Peter. Second half of the book, you're going to hear a lot about a, a guy named Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. Um, and and you'll, you'll continue to get some context and some historical background in the book of Acts as we continue uh, in this series. But that's just a little bit of a foreshadow as this amazing thing happens as Jesus ascends and the Spirit empowers his disciples to live out the mission that he's given to them. So what I want to do is just I want to re- start reading right from the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, if you go to page 905 in your pew Bibles, you will find Acts chapter 1. Now... Acts chapter 1, uh, by the way, if, if, you're, if you're not used to navigating a Bible, if you go to page 905, you'll see two columns on that page. You'll see big numbers. Those are chapter numbers. You'll see little numbers. Those are verses. Kind of look at them like addresses. So if you say we're going to go chapter 1, verse 2, you look for big number 1, little number 2, you're there. You're right with us. Um, so uh, just, that's just a little helpful hint. And I, what I want to do is I want to read the first 10 verses here of Acts chapter 1 as we begin this series. Um, it's written by Luke, the same Luke who's the gospel is named after him. And he's writing this to a friend named Theophilus. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But, and here's the verse we read earlier, so this going to sound familiar, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, 
He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And this is God's holy word. Many years ago, a lot of years ago, when I was in middle school, uh, I enjoyed uh, reading. I, I did not enjoy reading books uh, in a classical sense because there weren't, weren't enough pictures. Uh, I was one of those uh, kids who I enjoyed comic books, the kind of comic books that have inspired movies today. And, um, and I, I love those comic books. People, I lived overseas. I lived in Malaysia and in, uh, and in Hong Kong. And, and people traveling would bring these comic books. And I loved reading them. And I, I, I remember clearly, some of you, um, you may remember this as well, that on the back of those comic books were advertisements. Advertisements in comic book form, kind of geared for that, that age group that was reading those comics. And I remember one that was on the back of a comic quite frequently. Um, it, was, it, was, it actually, it was kind of a story, and it, it, was, it was called, the story had a title, it's called The Insult That Made a Man Out of Mac. Okay, here's the, here's the comic, it was on the back. Um, and it, it's a, and some of you are saying, um, why didn't you put Brian Candela's face on that person on the right? And reason is I didn't want him to make him look good. So, I, um, <laughs> but this is, this is all a comic. What's happening here is Charles Atlas had these workout regimens, and he, is, he wants to sell this. And so this, I read this quite often as a kid. It begins in the top left corner. There's a, kind of a skinny guy with his girlfriend sitting on the beach, and a bigger guy kicks sand in his face. And he says, hey, quit, quit kicking sand in our faces. And, and someone else says, well, that's the biggest nuisance on the beach. And uh, it continues with the big guy grabbing the small scrawny guy and threatening him. He says, I'll smash your face, only you're so skinny, you might just dry up and blow away. And, and then the, the, the scrawny guy says to his girlfriend, you know, the big bully, I'll get even with him someday. And she says something that's just not, so, not too helpful in this situation. Uh, says, oh, don't, worry, don't, let, don't let him bother you, little boy. Not, not, not helpful. Um, which sparks some emotion in him, and he's in his room now. He's kicking chairs, and that, but he's got, he's got this workout regimen by Charles Atlas. And he's reading it, and this is what he reads. Are you fed up with the huskies walking off with the best of everything? Are you sick and tired of being soft and frail and skinny or flabby? Are you only half alive? I know how you feel because I used to be a 97-pound runt. I was so ashamed of my scrawny frame that I didn't want to be seen on the beach in a swimsuit. And I read that as a kid. And I just got to tell you, I wanted that workout regimen. <laughs> I wanted to order that whole, that, whole, that whole workout by Charles Atlas because there was something in me that longed to be Powerful. Now, I lived in China and Malaysia, and so you couldn't get it shipped out there, so I never got it. But something in me wanted to, I wanted to be vibrant and alive and muscular and powerful. And I just want to say in the front end of our series on the book of Acts um, that God longs, not in the physical sense, he longs for his church. He longs for his church to be vibrant and powerful and muscular, to make disciples that can make disciples that can make disciples. He longs for that, and he longs for that, that power to be not. 
I don't think he longs for churches to be politically powerful. I don't think that's his, I, I don't think he even longs for churches to be economically powerful. I think he longs for the church to be powerful in spirit. But I don't know if you've been reading much about what people are saying about the church these days. Because as I've been reading about it, I, what, I've, what I've learned is that the people are not using adjectives like vibrant and robust and muscular and powerful. I, the, the, the news on the street is uh, a little bit disappointing and discouraging about the, the viewpoint of, of who the church is, who the bride of Christ is today. And there's, there's some stories and there's some stats. And, and I don't really know what to do with statistics and stats or what to believe about them because 96.2% of all stats are made up on the spot. And so, some of you get that later. But here's some of the things that, that, that are, that's out there. I mean, the Pew Research Center says that every year in the U.S., 1,000 new churches are planted. And every year in the U.S., 4,000 churches are closed. We're told that, take age 30 and below, that one-third, 33% of everybody age 30 and below has, describes themselves as having no religious or spiritual affiliation. And I could go on and on about some of the, the bad news, and I, I don't think all the news is bad. In fact, I think there's a lot of good news out there. But, um, but, but there, there's a sense of the church is, is not vibrant and robust and muscular and powerful in spirit. In fact, one church growth writer uh, said these words after many years of trying to lead churches into growth. He says, I don't think there is anything intrinsically wrong with the church growth principles we've developed or the evangelistic techniques we are using. Yet somehow, they don't seem to work. Maybe something else is needed. And I wanna suggest to us, as we study the book of Acts, I suggest to us we don't need something else. We need someone else for a spiritual revolution to take place in our hearts and in the hearts of the church and in the hearts of our nation. Now. Let's just look at this, at this passage because here, what's interesting is Matthew chapter 28. If you've read Matthew, you get to the end of it, you get this, this mission that's given to the disciples. And you, maybe you've heard this. We call it the Great Commission. Let's just call it the Go Commission because there is a going part to this because Jesus tells his disciples, as you go, make disciples and teach them everything I've taught you, teach people to obey it, baptize people in, in, in my name and, and, and go, go to the ends of the earth and by the way, I'm gonna be with you as you go. So this is, this is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, Jesus is giving this Go mission. I want you to go and make disciples. But then we get to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. We'll put them up here on the screen. And Jesus says, once when, he was, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. That's John the Baptist. John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to go on mission. And then you get to Acts chapter 1. He's telling his disciples, I don't want you to go on mission. You have a go mission and you have a don't go mission until the Spirit empowers you on the day of Pentecost. Now, this is really fascinating because if you look at these disciples, these are the best equipped disciples the world has ever seen. They've had three and a half years with Jesus. They've had FaceTime with the Master. They 
have had questions rise in their heart and they've been able to ask them and get answers. They have heard Jesus preach and teach personally. They have watched him do miracles. They have worked alongside of Jesus. They have been coached by Jesus. And what is fascinating as we, is at the front of the book of Acts is here we have these disciples who, who are the best equipped disciples that the world has ever seen. They've been given a go mission and Jesus won't even let them get their hands on the steering wheel of that mission until they've been empowered. Now, the implications for this are, are massive. He will not let them go on mission. He will not let them get their hands on the steering wheel. He will not let them push down that accelerator, give it some gas at all, even though they spent three and a half years with him, even though they're the world's best equipped disciples. He won't let them go until they've been empowered by Holy Spirit. Now, let's just, before we talk implications, let's just get our heads around who they are, because John, the Gospel of John, really helps us understand where they're at in their spiritual journey. John 15, it's a pretty well-known passage um, about about. God being the, the vine and us being the branches, and Jesus is talking to his best friends, these disciples, and says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I want you to concentrate on that last sentence. You are already clean. What he's saying there, if you dig into the original languages, he's actually saying you are innocent. You are pure. You are without guilt. You've been forgiven. You're clean. Uh, John 17, Jesus is now praying to his father, and he's praying to his father about his disciples. He actually, in that prayer, actually prays for us as well. But in this segment, he says to the father, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. These guys are clean. They're innocent. They're without stain. And they believe that the Father has sent the Son. And they have believed the message. They've accepted it, and they've, they've, they've put, put faith in it. They believe and then you get to John chapter 20. John 20 says, suddenly, this is after his resurrection, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, We'll put this all together. Let's go put this on the screen. First of all, John 15 tells us that these disciples are purified, clean, and guiltless. John 17 tells us that they believe the message, that they're believers. They believe the Father has sent the Son. John 20 tells us that they have received Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question, and it's not a trick question. What do you call somebody who's clean, who's pure, innocent, who believes that the Father has sent the Son and believe the message that, the, that has been delivered, and they have received the indwelling of the Spirit. What do we call that person? A Christian. And the reason I'm laying all that out is because here we have Christians, Christians who have had three and a half years with Jesus. These, these have got to be the best trained disciples the world has ever seen. 
So we have Christians, they're clean, uh, they're believers, they've received the Holy Spirit, the dwelling of a spirit, and Jesus won't let them go on mission until the Spirit of God is not just in them, but on them. And that's what will happen at Pentecost. But let me just pause here, and here's the implications. The implication is, you can be a Christian and not be empowered by Holy Spirit. You can, be, you can be forgiven and clean and purified. You can believe the message, believe that Jesus was sent from the Father, and you can have the indwelling spirit within you, and every Christian does, and no Christian ever has to worry about losing that presence of God within them. But you can be a Christian and not be empowered by Holy Spirit. In fact, that, that was the model Jesus gave us, even before he started his ministry. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our denomination, our movement, said these words. He said, if the Lord Jesus did not presume to begin his public ministry or perform a single service as our teacher and example until he received the Holy Spirit, what right have we to go forth in our self-sufficiency and attempt to minister at the, gospel, at the altar of Christian service until we have been endued with power from on high? You can be a Christian and not be empowered by Holy Spirit. You can have a go mission, but there needs to be a, a, a don't go mission that's embraced as well. Many of you may know the name D.L. Moody. Moody was a world-renowned evangelist. In fact, historians tell us that Moody led over one million people to Christ. Moody started three colleges, three training institutes. Moody started a publishing house. D.L. Moody influenced many evangelists, and, and, and more crusades happened because of the example that, that he lived out in front of people. But Moody had very humble beginnings. Actually, he began preaching in a YMCA. And as he preached, there were two uh, older women who kind of sat in the, in the, in the front row. And, um, and he, he wasn't very fond of them because uh, they, one of their names was Auntie Sarah Cook and the other was Miss Hawkshurst. And uh, Auntie Sarah Cook, let me just hear her perspective on this. She's writing about, about Moody. She says, Mr. Moody was an earnest, whole-souled worker. But to me, there seemed such a lack in his words. It seemed more human, the natural energy and force of character of the man than anything spiritual. I felt he lacked what the apostles received on the day of Pentecost. Dear sister Hawkshurst and myself would talk to him about it. At first, he seemed surprised and annoyed. Then he asked us to eventually meet with him on Friday afternoons for prayer. At every meeting, he would get more earnest and in an agony of desire for the fullness of the Spirit. Dr. Michael Brown uh, wrote a biography about, uh, about Moody and includes a little bit on those two women that sat in the front. He writes, the two women would seat themselves in the front row. While Mr. Moody preached, they prayed. After the service, they would say to him, we've been praying for you. Mr. Moody responded, don't pray for me, pray for the people. The ladies replied, no, we're praying for you because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Moody was confused. Yet a great hunger began to form in Moody's soul. Moody would later write, I did not know what it was, and I began to cry out as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. And Moody would later write of an experience with Holy Spirit. 
He said, I began to cry as never before for a greater blessing from God. The hunger increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer. I had been a Christian, and not only a Christian, but a pastor, a minister, and in charge of a mission for some time. I was getting conversions, but still wanted more. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with the Spirit. Well, one day, in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of what he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say, God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. And after this, my preaching seemed to take on a new power. Many more souls responded and were converted. Where there used to be hundreds, now there were thousands I received new invitations to preach, including an evangelistic trip to England where thousands upon thousands upon thousands were converted. Moody, a preacher, a minister, and two women praying that, that he will be endued with power from on high. Friends, we have been given a go mission. And like the disciples, we need to embrace the don't go mission in order for the spiritual revolution to take place in our own hearts so that we can re reflect and represent the holiness, to be empowered to live a holy life, and also to be empowered to live out the mission. We have a different call than Moody does. You have a call in your life to live out the, the, the mission wherever God's placed you. Maybe it's as a mom. Maybe it's as, as a business person. Maybe it's as leading a nonprofit, or maybe it's in working in the workplace. Wherever God has put you, he has given you gifts, and we have that mission, and it's lived out in a variety of ways, and we've been given the same don't-go mission because we need to be empowered by Holy Spirit. Now, a couple practical steps for us, and then let's go watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> Here's what I say. First thing is this. We need to dig in on this topic, okay? Some of you in the room, I lost you at you can be a Christian and not be empowered by Holy Spirit. I'm gonna encourage you to, to, to dig in on this one. I've, I've dug in on this one. And I, I, I just want, I want you to know that this is really, really important. Front end of a series about revolution. And you need your revolution. Here's a couple books you could read, a couple resources. One is called Joy Unspeakable by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. This, I tell you, I could not put this book down. Trina, she put it down like in five minutes. So for some of you, it might work. For others of you, it, it won't because it's, it's a little bit of an older style. Uh, Jones was a pastor in London. Uh, he's got a reformed background. Uh, it's kind of 1950s kind of language, and, um, but that, that could be a good resource. It's pretty thick, pretty comprehensive. A, a, a shorter book that you might be able to pick up is called The Baptism with the Holy Spirit, by, written by R.A. Torrey. Torrey started the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which is now called Biola, and he wrote on this topic. Uh, it's, it's shorter. I think it's like 80 to 90 pages. We actually use this text at RTI with our RTI students. Um, that, that could be a, a just kind of way to dip your toes in the water. But I just want to say, this is a very important topic. So important that Jesus wouldn't even let his disciples go on mission until they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. They had the Spirit in them. Jesus breathed on them. You, if you're a believer, you have the presence of God in you. You never have to worry about losing the presence of God in you. But 
having the Spirit on you is equally important to live out the call he's put on your life. Dig in on that. Second thing I'd say is this. Be thirsty. And stay thirsty, my friends. Be thirsty, okay? Jesus, Jesus on, on a festival stood up with a loud voice and said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Let them come to me. And out of your innermost beings will flow streams of living water. And by this, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. That's what John tells us. Friends, be thirsty. When you hear me say you can be a Christian and not be empowered by Holy Spirit, don't go, don't, don't go to a place of shame and condemnation. Go to a place of hunger and thirst. Third thing I would say is this. Ask to be empowered. Just start asking. And you have nothing to fear when asking to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. Spirit is Jesus. You have nothing to fear. Some of us were taught when we were younger that I gotta be careful and open yourself up to stuff and that's, it could be dangerous and um, let, let, just, let Jesus speak to, that, speak to that fear. Because in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, he says, you know, if, if a son asks his earthly father, um, can, can I have a fish? Does the father give him a snake? If, if a son asks his dad uh, for an egg, will the father give his son a scorpion? And then Jesus goes on to say, if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Have nothing to fear with the person of the Spirit. Holy Spirit longs to empower you. And as this happens, here's what happens. Jerusalem experiences a spiritual revolution. Judea and Samaria experience a spiritual revolution. Rome will never be the same. The ends of the earth. We're here. We're here because people embraced a go mission and a don't go mission. And our lives have been transformed because those guys were faithful. I love how my friend David Hearn captures this. Uh, Hearn says, mission without deeper life leads to humanitarianism. Deeper life without mission leads to fanaticism. Deeper life with mission will lead to revolution. Now, I want you to hear this revolution. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, ah, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Verse 21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Peter goes on to preach a message. I'm not going to read the whole message. It's got three points. It's simply this. God sent his son. You killed him, and you're in big trouble. It's a pretty confrontational message. But the people are cut to the heart. And it says in verse 40, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Revolution. Now imagine this. Imagine... Several thousand people in Salem embracing a go mission and embracing a don't go mission. And imagine this gathering of thousands that had been empowered by Holy Spirit, empowered for holiness, reflecting the character of Christ. And don't we need that today? Imagine these thousands of people empowered for holiness, reflecting the character of Christ and engaging in the mission of Christ in such a way that, 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 that they speak or they serve or they, they give and, and however they, they use their gifts, this families are transformed. Neighborhoods are transformed. The workplace is transformed. Government is transformed. The arts are transformed. And the city begins to experience revolution. It spills out of the city and it spills into the state and it spills into the nation. Imagine what would happen if a people would embrace a mission and a don't-go mission in that framework, imagine what God might do in us, in you, through us, through you, as we wait upon him. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.